Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, a podcast that's all about comic book movies, which you can now find at cinematicmultiverse.com. I'm Joe Cunningham, and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... Seth Patrick. And James Hunt. Today we'll be skipping past the latest comic book movie news because we want to focus entirely on Zack Snyder's Batman v Superman, colon, Dawn of Justice. Um, We'll start out with a spoiler-free section before moving into our usual spoiler-filled discussion. But briefly, before any of that, I'm going to ask Seven James to explain a comic book concept... As a movie fan, I just don't understand. And guys, we've got the big one. We've got the fight at the top of the title card here, Batman v Superman. But if everyone fights, and you know, there's free reign, you know, anyone can use any weapons they want, who wins in a fight out of everyone? It depends whose book (laughs) it's happening in, doesn't it? Yeah. It's happening in Seb Patrick and James Hunt's new book. (laughs) So are we we talking a Marvel versus DC kind of thing? Everyone. 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 I mean, I'd say Eternity because he's the living embodiment of the Marvel Universe, but well, he, I mean, he tends to lose his spot as that quite often. And the DC Universe does literally have God in, courtesy of like Sandman and, and Lucifer and stuff, which is all technically DC Universe connected. I mean, I, I would say, who, who would it come down to from the two of them, really? You probably for Marvel, you probably end up looking at someone like Galactus or something. Galactus was my thought, but I mean, if you want to restrict it to actual superheroes, I would say you mm. probably would end up with Captain America versus Batman at the end of it. Yeah, probably closely followed by Superman and Thor on yeah. either side. Is, is Superman further down because of the Kryptonite factor? It's yeah, well, just because Batman su- cheats. Superman's also vulnerable to magic, and Thor is magic. So, mm. although su- Superman did beat Thor in Marvel versus DC, because Kurt Busiek. Yeah, but- uh, was talking on Twitter about how back when that story first came out, he got people writing in threatening his kids. And then people on Twitter took that as a cue to carry on the conversation about how they thought Thor would win. So so who, who have we got as our final contenders? Thor, Superman, Batman, and who was the other one? And Captain, Captain America. America. Captain I mean, America. The thing about Batman is he's always got a plan. So... I mean, you, you just, you almost quote, you, you kind of... Uh, paraphrased what I was going to directly quote, which is the line from Grant Morrison's uh, towards the end of Grant Morrison's Batman run. And the line is, the thing about Batman is, Batman thinks of everything. (laughs) And yeah, Batman will have a plan to defeat absolutely anybody and he will cheat. So... 
yeah it does kind of have to be batman and that's kind of it's quite a symbolic thing because it's the you know batman is the guy who's the ordinary bloke rather than the bloke with superpowers but batman's batman's superpower is being batman so with superman he's he's going to bring the kryptonite so that's fine yeah and with thor i don't know maybe he sneaks some like black well, hair just, dye into his shampoo yeah, and then you just you just have to get thor, you just have to get thor away from his hammer yeah, or, or you just have to get him to transform back into Don Blake. Yeah, exactly. And right, then not have him have a way to, to get back. Yep. And for Cap... Captain America dresses like a Mountie or something. <laughs> just, just really, really freak freeze, him out. Freeze him in ice again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, or, ice. I bet he'd have like an His antidote for the super soldier ice. formula or something. <laughs> um, I think the only person who's going to give Batman much trouble is probably Wolverine, because Wolverine's thing is he just keeps getting up. But again, like... In case him in adamantium, he's not he's not coming back from that. And like Batman doesn't have any specific weakness because he's you know he's just a person. You know, there's nothing that you can say. Oh, this is Batman's weakness. I I've got something, but it's a massive spoiler for this movie. So uh... <laughs> okay, um, so so we're saying we're saying probably Batman then. Batman wins yeah. all fights. Yeah. Even I mean, even so as a Marvel fan, I, I was going to say yeah, that's if you... probably it. If even James is willing to say that, then I think that's about as clear an answer as you could get. Fair enough. Okay, um, so we'll move on now. And what we're going to do is... So we, we all saw Batman v Superman at the um, at a screening on Wednesday night in, uh, in London. And um, we all saw it together, which was a treat because that's not always the case. And so what we did after the film... Um, after kind of arguing about it outside the cinema and then walking down the street, we got into a we got into a lovely little restaurant and we sat down at a table, whipped out the microphone and discussed our immediate thoughts on the movie. So this is the three of us a few days ago discussing the movie and we're gonna we're gonna hand over now to Joe in the past. Hey Joe, you there? Oh, hey, Joe in the future. You're there with past Seven James as well. And what did you think of the movie? Yeah, it's uh, it's a tough one, but it's not all about me. What it's really about is our, <laughs> our co-hosts who have the most anticipated views. James James wasn't even on our Man no, of Steel episode. I didn't get to revisit it. James, quickly sum up your thoughts on Man of Steel in three words. Man of Steel, Please, not again. Okay. I can judge James's thoughts on a film by how much he pisses himself laughing throughout. I did it a lot with Man of Steel. Um, I did it a fair amount with this one as well. And James uh, said we can we can understand how much you dislike a film based on how much you vomit throughout. Yes. How much did you vomit during this one? I did not vomit during Batman v Superman, although the screening wasn't in 3D, which I think helped. And I genuinely did take motion sickness tablets on my way to the cinema just in case. Uh, but no, it wasn't in 3D, and we deliberately set up near the back um, and also it, it didn't have Superman snapping General Zod's neck which was the moment so I, it just <laughs> didn't have that revulsion in me but what's more surprising than the fact that I wasn't sick was the fact that I think out of the three of us I disliked it the least yeah let's let's go around the seven let's start with you Seb you I am you ten- tentatively like this I, movie like is a strong word I, I'm gonna stick for now with didn't hate and, and see how you for, feel again for, in the future. For, yeah, but there were entire passages of the film where I was entertained and enjoyed it. Like, I don't think it's a good film. And all of the bits that James was laughing at, and all of the bits that I'm sure you'll come to talk about when saying that you thought it was absolutely terrible, <laughs> uh, I, I will find it hard to disagree with. 
but I know this is an incredible shock from someone who feels the way about Man of Steel that I did but man it's not that bad and that's probably the best praise you can hope to hear from me on it also, is not it, that bad put is, it on the poster is it fair to say that it ticked a lot of your kind of comics boxes I think it did and like I kind of I feel somewhat ashamed of myself that a film like that because <laughs> right let's not beat around the bush it's a stupid stupid film and we'll get into that when we get into the spoilery chat it is not an intelligent film in any way <laughs> but you know I am a comic book fan and as much as I like to pretend that all of that is based around intelligent literary comics like Sandman which some of it is um, you know I like cheap superhero thrills and my biggest problem with Man of Steel is that it didn't have enough of that and this does there are moments in this that are just so dumb but there are moments where it's just look this is this is Superman and Batman crashing around being comic book characters and I kind <laughs> of enjoyed those bits I don't, I don't think these thrills are cheap they look very expensive yeah I mean look I mean again it was something I said like back in my film 4 review of, of Man of Steel the thing that I was begrudgingly praiseful of was Zack Snyder and Spectacle there are few better in this, the spectacle was even better than in Man of Steel. And so th- those bits are genuinely enjoyable. <laughs> Can I just say, I'm thoroughly enjoying that this recording is playing out to a song that's probably on Batman's playlist. that <laughs> <laughs> he loves the Rasmus. <laughs> James, what, what were your thoughts? Are you as um, tentatively enthusiastic as Seb? I feel, like, I feel like Seb is like just... He needs a couple of days to process whether he actually is yeah. this positive on it. Like, I think he is, but I think he just needs to make sure... I I think I am, but I feel ashamed at myself for the fact that I am. <laughs> it could have, like, it could have been so much worse. Like the last time around, it was so much worse. And it's sort of maybe our expectations were just so low. And, they were, and the, because also because we've seen it after the review embargo lifted, so I've read a lot of negative reviews that I expected to fully agree with. Because the things that they were saying were things I thought, well, if if, if that's true of this film, I'm not going to like it. There's statements out there, you know, this is the worst, you know, modern era superhero movie, and it is so much better than both Amazing Spider-Man films. Both, not just the second one, but the first one as well. More enjoyable, more fun, more true. To its characters, well, and yeah. again, I can't believe I'm saying that about a Zack Snyder Superman film. That is a better Superman and Batman film than the Amazing Spider-Man films are Spider-Man. Yeah, films. I mean, there are things about Batman in that film that aren't necessarily 100% <laughs> yeah, pure which Batman. We might have to save for the spoiler section, but, but yeah, it's a good version of Batman. It's a recognisable version of Batman, yeah. and even Superman, which Man of Steel wasn't. Well, the thing that the thing that I expected the most from this film, because it's what we got from Man of Steel, was a film that just completely shits on the idea of Superman and you know doesn't want to portray him as the hero and doesn't want to portray him in a positive light and kind of takes delight in basically tearing him down because that's kind of what the film's supposed to be about so what amazed me about this film was that it is almost entirely sympathetic to Superman from start to finish and it has moments with him doing all of the stuff that you don't see him do in Man of Steel there is a a montage in the middle of the film which again yeah if you don't get on with Superman and I can see that people might find it as a bit of a messianic sequence I thought it was a great great sequence because it was what I wanted to see from a Superman movie in terms of Batman and Superman like portraying them sympathetically or making you want to root for either one of them in the build up to the big fight Batman is 
portrayed sympathetically. Yeah, his you point, can see his point the film of view. is trying to get his point of yeah, view across. And it to makes you, sense. Yeah. When the fight arrives, yeah. Superman is the one who seems sympathetic. Yeah. And, and that surprised me because I expected the film to glory in look, here's big, powerful Superman being taken down by ordinary guy Batman. And it's not that at all. You kind of feel like Batman is bullying Superman at that point. It did have those moments, didn't it? It did. I mean, it, it has its cake and eats it completely. <laughs> but I don't mind that because it's better than the alternative, which is to just not give Superman anything at all. But this was throughout the film, you, you were encouraged to root for Superman. You could see that he was being put in a difficult position by everything that was going on around him. Um, I think it helps that. And Cavill doesn't have a huge amount of range, although I gather that I haven't seen Man from Uncle, but I gather he plays light and charming quite well in that. He doesn't have a huge amount of range, but what he does extremely well is stand there stoically. He plays light and charming very well in real life from yeah, any interview that true, I've seen with yeah. him. Um, but you know, that film wants a Superman who will basically, basically a Superman who will stand there while people are beating him over the back of the head with chairs, and you can imagine him just standing there and taking that. Um, he, he does it well. So, do you think we've arrived at the point where I completely throw water over this? And to everyone's surprise, not least us three, that I dislike this movie <laughs> way more than you two. Yeah. Like, and I think it makes Man of. I think it gives Man of Steel defenders ammunition to go like, <laughs> "Hey, it wasn't that bad after all." See, because I feel like it. Man of Steel at least seems like a coherent story um, from start to finish and I said my problem with that movie has always been Snyder sets up these ideas and abandons them for a, for a big fight now Snyder again abandons everything about what his movie's about for a big fight and then another one and then another one and then another one in this movie but I just felt that what came before was so much less coherent and I had so, so much of a problem like I like Ben Affleck's Batman I think it does a better job with Henry Cavill's Superman in this film um, I, I I like Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman from the little we see of her my problem is that every character starts and finishes the movie in the exact same place I don't think there's any character arcs these characters Batman arrives fully formed and not only does he arrive like that would be great if you then kind of give us a little bit of a context as to why he arrives in that state we don't really ever get it yeah we got a bit of context like mm. all the you know vandalised stuff is blown at mansion yeah. like there was context I just, just, it wasn't necessarily I did, smacking you in the face I, didn't re I just didn't really feel like it informed character and I felt like all, all of the heavy lifting in this movie in terms of getting you to like or root for characters was done by the actors and by the costumes and by the special effects like Snyder again does some like beautiful beautiful shots he is um, absolutely plagiarising himself all over this movie like god yeah. and like at, at this point I wonder how many Zack Snyder funeral scenes I've sat through and watched um, but like the first five minutes of this movie feels like you're watching Watchmen yeah and actually I would, uh, as well a point that we picked up on it was it was uh, we quoted Andrew Ellard in the Man of Steel um, podcast saying that one of the problems with Man of Steel is that Snyder is a director generally who shoots for things to be iconic and in, in Man of Steel there are no iconic shots there are a lot of iconic shots in this film I, th I think there are images and there are well constructed images that will linger in the memory it's a very Snydery film um, 
like it. I mean, it's far closer to Watchmen than it is to Man of yeah. Steel for all kinds of reasons, not least because he's deliberately it, it at points. It doesn't feel tonally ever like a sequel to Man of Steel, even when you're no, ta- no, even no, when no, there are scenes kind of no, taking no, place no, in the Daily Planet and yeah, like there's a, there's stuff. a character who shows up who played a particular role in Man of Steel and then he's been promoted in this film. And when he first showed up, I briefly forgot that he was even from Man of Steel. And then part way through his scenes, I was like, oh yeah, he was that guy in Man of Steel. But I mean, the movie generally seems so unconcerned with those characters that have been from Man of Steel. I mean, well, I, I felt like all of the Daily Planet people were still like set dressing. Basically. Oh yeah, they totally. All of the Daily Planet characters, apart from Lois, definitely are. Well, I, I think the film does so much better by Lois than Man of Steel. Oh really? Well, she actually has a role in the plot. Yeah, she's. she's, she's, she's uh, I'm not. I can't spoil <laughs> yeah. it. She's not. It's not a great role in the plot. I mean, like, it's not. <laughs> it's a, she's still not brilliant. It's, but. It's not much further on from where it was in the 1970s. But I do think that Amy Adams looked a lot more interested in it than she did in Man of Steel. She was, she, as I said on the Man of Steel podcast, for an actress who I love so much, I was surprised at just how disengaged she felt from Man of Steel. In this, she felt a much more active participant, and she felt like she had much more of being Amy Adams. I feel like her. she was treated dreadfully. Like, her second scene is literally her naked in a bath. And well, that crazy. was quite ridiculous. I mean, as a fan of Amy Adams, it wasn't, you know, the worst thing in the world, but actually... Actually, it's really skeevy and horrible, to be honest. Well, I think we're going to have a lot of fun diving into loads of specifics. Um, I'd particularly like to talk about our Justice League teasers, which I thought were... Uh, I mean, again, badly, badly handled, if, if, not, if not necessarily yeah. bad teasers. They are... Um, from a purely cinematic point of view, they are dreadful. From a, this is a comic book and we are showing you comic book characters that you like to get you excited about them and also Aquaman who you don't like. Um, it worked for me. I think the dream sequence teaser was better than the rest of the teasers. Yeah, I liked I would have been happy with the dream sequence bit. Um, yeah, there, it, it's one of the characters, and I won't say which on the non-spoiler section, but it's the character who I was potentially most sceptical about. And from a very brief appearance, well, two very brief appearances, really, I'm a little bit more optimistic about that character now. But we'll talk about that when we get to I it. I think what I was just... I was just surprised that so much of the stuff that, like, for me, this is, like, the peak complaint about superhero movies, which is, like, oh, well, can you, you know, can you focus on telling this story instead of teasing the ones that are later to come? And every tease of stuff that's later to come in this movie, like, exists almost, like as a pretension that it has something to do with this film when it never ever does I mean it even does that with one of the things that's in the film which is Wonder Woman it spends the first half of the film occasionally throwing Wonder Woman at you and going look this is going to be Wonder Woman later in this film look forward to that <laughs> and to be fair when she shows up she's pretty awesome but you could also you could cut, you could cut her out of the film and it would still be pretty much exactly I, I, the same film I would also like can you give me two two adjectives to describe Wonder Woman's personality in this film uh, aloof and violent. It's not that violent. No, I mean to be honest, the, the impression I like got from her was that she reminded me of Sif in the Thor films. And people rave yeah. about Sif. And actually, Sif doesn't get that much character development. There's a lot of projection goes on with this is what you imagine that character's like because the glimpses you get of her being an awesome warrior. Wonder Woman here is pretty much the same. I, quite, I question her personality. I, she, I feel like she, she had more personality style. in her one episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Than she, well, in her first episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> than she did in, in the Thor movies. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm very interested in how this movie is going to sit with us in, like, 
a day or two's time when we actually <laughs> yeah. come to recording the rest of this podcast because this isn't something we've ever done before yeah. recording this in advance and I'm I'm wondering whether I'm going to call on it or double down <laughs> and um, I mean I don't think this is going to stand up to a huge amount of scrutiny and also while I enjoyed watching it and I wasn't really bored throughout I don't feel a great compunction to see it again I feel like having seen it that's enough and like that's not a I don't want to see it because I won't enjoy it again it's just that two and a half hours does not feel like it will be particularly well spent I mean the best thing I can say about this film is that it to me it was an encouraging teaser for things to come it made me really want to see a Ben Affleck solo Batman film to see that version of that character explored a bit more it made me Batman in action is made great. me want more of Henry Cavill's Superman which I kind of wanted after Man of Steel but Man of Steel hadn't done enough to convince me and it, it has got me thinking about the Justice League films in a slightly more positive light so it's still no more than set up which to, to say that about the second film in a series is ridiculous but also to say that about a movie that's title is Batman yeah. v Superman <laughs> seems insane like, but it, it should be the main like event it, it should be the, it should be the, the, the top of the ever since they slapped that subtitle on it as soon as they called it Dawn of Justice it was this is where we start um, and to I'm going to preempt the spoiler Steel section as well star. she never turns up <laughs> <laughs> good old Dawn Dawn of Justice just going to say I don't think like, I'm not a huge DC fan anyway I'm not I'm not entirely sure that, that this film has changed my opinion of the forthcoming movies that much um, you you have hit on a point that I wanted to make okay. which was, which is that felt very DC and yeah. one of the things that I think I liked about it was it wasn't trying first it wasn't trying to be a Marvel film at all and in some senses that's a bad thing although I, I've read reviews that said it had no sense of humour and I think it kind of did have a little bit of a sense <laughs> of humour um, but it didn't feel like let's do a realistic and you know kind of tangible and sensible take on superheroes that felt to me like let's do a ridiculous over the top DC comics are kind of more about the mythology of superheroes and it was let's throw all of that at the screen now a lot of it probably doesn't work and in Justice League maybe even more of it won't work but it felt like a cohesive a slightly more cohesive part of the overall how DC so do I guess, things so I guess the equivalent would be then James if you you got like an X-Men movie that had like space and real hard sci-fi yeah. and if it like an X-Men movie that was about less like a Chris, Chris Claremont comic yeah, yeah exactly less about the sort of big themes and more about the interpersonal interactions married with the kind of crazy sci-fi stuff yeah but this had like over the top sci-fi stuff this has already thrown in stuff that doesn't make sense and <laughs> stuff that doesn't make sense is the DC stock in trade so and someone lost an arm as well so that's did someone lose an arm well, oh okay no if it, well, I mean if it had an arm being locked off then it's definitely right there with the Jeff Johns way of doing things well, I'm um, too. I mean that was a film that set up a world where you could believably imagine Black Adam turning up for example I was surprised Black Adam didn't turn up in this film I heard rumours that they might have dropped him in okay well so uh, should we should we wrap it up there should we send it back to the future yeah it's funny because we might we might now come back onto the spoilery bit and by the time we reach the spoiler bit I might have realised that I hate it but I'm I mean given that our last podcast was our Man of Steel podcast and so everyone who listens to this show now knows my opinion on that I, I am as amazed as you are that I haven't come out spitting feathers I would be very film. surprised if we get to recording the next section and you two aren't still of the opinion that it's a better movie than Man of Steel and I'm not still yeah, of the I mean, opinion it, it, that it's not <laughs> yeah 
that I think yeah those, those will be the truths that we will take away from this yeah but, um, yeah I don't have a burning urge to rewatch it but I would far sooner rewatch it than Man of Steel okay well we'll hand back to the future now um, I'll, I'll leave you guys to it now we're gonna eat okay so we're back in the present now and what we'll do is before we have our spoiler filled discussion just to give all those spoiler phobes a chance to run away what we'll do is now we'll take a quick listen to the trailer for the movie and we'll be back straight after that with our spoiler filled discussion of Batman v Superman Mr. Wayne Clark Kent Daily Planet what's your position on the Bat Vigilante in Gotham Civil liberties are being trampled on in your city. People living in fear. He thinks he's above the law. The Daily Planet criticizing those who think they're above the law is a little hypocritical. What'd you say? Considering every time your hero saves a cat out of a tree, you read a puff piece editorial about an alien who could burn the whole place down. Most of the world doesn't share your opinion, Mr. Wayne. Maybe it's the Gotham City in me. Have a bad history with freaks dressed like clowns. Boys! Mm. Bruce Wayne meets Clark Kent. Ah, I love it. I love bringing people together. How are we? Lex. Hi, hello. Lex, it is a pleasure. Ow, wow, that is a good grip. You should not pick a fight with this person. You know the oldest lie in America, Senator? That power can be innocent. That son of a bitch brought the war to us. You know you can't win this. It's suicide. The greatest gladiator match in the history of the world. Son of Krypton versus Bat of Gotham. You're psychotic. That is a three-syllable word for any thought too big for little minds. Time you learn what it means to be a man. Stay down! If I wanted it, you'd be dead already. If man won't kill God, the devil will do it. What have you done? Okay, so that was the trailer for Batman v Superman. Um, You've heard our immediate thoughts, and I think a lot of what we were discussing towards the end of that. And I'll be honest, I haven't re-listened to it since we recorded (laughs) it, so there's a strong possibility. (laughs) Repeats. I could contradict myself quite badly. (laughs) You see, Joe said ten minutes ago that he thought that that thing was rubbish and now he's saying it's really good but the thing we were talking about was whether our opinions would change at all once we'd had a little bit more time to stew on the film um i'll start my opinions haven't really changed i think i've doubled down in my dislike of this film um (laughs) i've uh i've had more time to think about it and more time to think yeah that thing didn't make sense either and i didn't like that and i didn't like that and that was dumb and 
I've been quite looking forward to this conversation, to be honest with you. Um, but are you guys still on the vaguely positive, or have you mellowed a bit, or have you gone, no, do you know what? It's even better than I thought. <laughs> it's kind of, I mean, I've, I've found, you know, I've read so many people talking about this film on, on Twitter and on blogs and stuff over the last few days, and I can't disagree. Like, I can't... Anyone who I've seen go, this is absolutely dreadful and here's why, I can't refute what they're saying. But I what what doesn't change is the fact that while I was watching that film, I got just about enough enjoyment out of it that it wasn't a worthless endeavour. So I couldn't tell you... Like, it, it isn't a film that I've walked away from and that I've thought about and gone, oh, yeah, that was really interesting for, the, like, the last few days. But I, But even at the time... I didn't think that would be the case. I didn't think it was good in terms of that's really going to leave me with a lot of really interesting questions and, and you know, um, thoughts about the idea of Batman and Superman. It was just that on a pretty base level, I enjoyed it while I was watching it. So the fact that that happened hasn't changed. But I don't know how strongly I'll defend it, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of where I am. Like, I kind of, I wasn't expecting to enjoy it, and I did but also I have no interest in ever seeing it again. It just it reminds me of the Transformers movies, which are like a couple of hours that feel like a hostage situation by the end of it. <laughs> and, and very similar to the Transformers movies, despite getting dreadful reviews, it looks like it is going to make a shit ton of money because yeah. the opening weekend has been enormous. Like Transformers 4, I absolutely thought was abysmal. But while I was watching it, I was like, well there are things in this movie I enjoy like Optimus Prime shouting his catchphrase of I'll kill you and <laughs> shooting Frasier with a giant gun like I enjoyed yeah. all that stuff but I never want to see it again I don't think it was a this good is, movie this is the moment where I stick up for Batman v Superman it's a million times better than any Transformers movie <laughs> which are all rubbish even the first one even the first I remember in 2007 or whatever it was when people go oh, no it's quite good it's not it's terrible <laughs> no it's not and, yeah not not and on this, any level. And this is this is n- well, I don't think this is good. Um, I kind of I kind of see where you're coming from. I was trying to think about why why I think that Man of Steel is a better movie than this, and I think it's Batman v Superman to me just feels like such a hot mess. Like I would kind of like compare it to like. I don't know, say if you walked into a classroom and saw, like, um, loads of kids' drawings on the wall and you were like, that kid's scribbled all over the page and look, he's got a, a blob of apple juice in the top corner and what's going on? That That's a real shambles. And then another kid has done something that's a little bit more boring, but hey, that's a cat and a dog and I can kind of, I can, I can kind of tell what the picture is. Like that one over there, that's that's kind of more fun to look at, but that one that one's better. That one's definitely that kid's done better. And I feel <laughs> that way about Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. Like Man of Steel, I think, is a little bit dull and a little bit of a slog and has some problems um in in its execution. But I think it it has a clear idea of what it's trying to do. Um, and loses away a little, its way a little bit towards the end. Whereas I think Batman v Superman is just all over the place and just yeah, like I said, a real, real mess. And even though there's these like exciting little splats here and there, or like of things that are fun or depictions of characters that are stronger, 
I just think the whole thing is <laughs> is so hard to reconcile with. And I wanted to ask you guys a question, actually, because the, the one thing I've been wondering about the last few days, and I'm not sure I've seen anyone else raise this, I can't shake the feeling that this movie is, in fact, Man of Steel 2 at its core. And in that regard, I mean that maybe Zack Snyder had gone off and kind of commissioned a treatment for Man of Steel 2, and then the Warner Brothers execs came along and went oh, we need you to put Batman in it. And Snyder was like, oh, great. Well, rather than starting again and building a whole film from scratch, I'll just put Batman into Man of Steel 2 and just pulled out a whole load of things. Because Batman is there and Batman is kind of, you know, he ends up being a dominating presence in the film. But in terms of, in terms of the, like, big plot beats of the movie, it's... Batman and Lex Luthor and Doomsday and most of the stuff that's going on that's actually relevant to the plot is taking part uh, is taking place in Metropolis, and I wonder whether they just maybe retrofitted Batman in, and that's why so little of it feel makes sense because it's like two or three movies just all crushed together. I can I can sort of see the argument for that, but I, like Batman's perspective feels like it informs a lot of what happens with Superman in this film. So but what if that perspective was just, you know, the perspective of the US government and the and the media and and Lex Luthor? I guess it's possible. I mean, it's hard to tell what Zack Snyder's doing at the best of times. I mean, the interesting thing is what what you say about how structurally and in, and in terms of plot you can see it more as Man of Steel two than we were expecting. Um, in terms of the style and tonally, um, I I don't get that feeling from it at all no it, no I, I just mean kind of you know like that's why i say like almost a treatment of the plot mm. because then batman gets added added in and then everything becomes so batman-y even though the center of the story is really still superman i mean i i can buy the idea that a lot of the core of this film could have started out as a man of steel 2 draft definitely um you know pretty much all of the stuff with um holly hunter um, and, you know, pretty much all of the stuff with Lex, really, um, you can see that that would have been where they would have gone with a solo Man of Steel too. I don't know if you would have had Scott McNair, um, Scoot McNary's character in there or not, because that seems to tie a bit too closely to Batman. But, mm. but then again, I remember hearing um, rumours, like people wrote quite detailed, here's everything that happens in this film, like on Reddit and stuff like that. And it was obviously just based on what we'd seen from trailers and what had been seen shooting and stuff. And there were people who were adamant that Scoot McNary was playing Jimmy Olsen and that it was Jimmy Olsen who had lost his legs in Metropolis, but that he was on Superman's side rather than being against him. And I just Which, wonder... in fact, couldn't, it couldn't be further from the truth, could it, Seb? Because as we yeah. know, Jimmy Olsen <laughs> didn't lose his legs. He lost his brains in this movie. <laughs> Jimmy Olsen is on screen for five seconds and get his head shot. <laughs> is, is, is is that, it's that Jimmy character? Olsen. It's Jimmy Olsen. Did, did you look Jimmy up the Olsen actor? Jimmy Olsen is an undercover CIA afterwards. guy. <laughs> yeah, it's him. So, so it, is, it is him. Because we saw it's the gone. name in the credits and we were like, hang on, where was Jimmy? And you said, well, maybe it's the photographer. And I was like, no, no, because he wasn't a photographer. He was an undercover CIA guy and he's dead. <laughs> it's stuff like that that makes me come around to the argument you were making on the last podcast that... Zack Snyder hates Superman. <laughs> who's this? Who's this character that's kind of ubiquitous in this? It bang. <laughs> to be fair, I, I love Superman, but I've got no great love for Jimmy Olsen, so I don't mind seeing Jimmy Olsen getting not his even brain in blown Supergirl. Out, to be honest, come on. No, I don't even really like him in Supergirl. He's, he's oh, too. I quite like him in Supergirl. He's too. 
he's too nice. He's too. That's the problem with everyone in Supergirl. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I like it. Everyone's too nice. <laughs> Again, it's one of those things where I, I I can't remember how much we we should have really listened back to our to our non spoilery <laughs> immediate reaction. But you know, hey, we've been busy. Um, I don't know if we kind of touched on this, but actually, you you said about you know what I said during Man of Steel about Zack Snyder hating Superman, and I had seen before seeing the film, I had seen in one of the reviews someone basically used the line. You know, Zack Snyder really, really hates Superman. And I did not get that impression from this film. And I think that's one of the reasons I didn't hate it as much. And there is one particular sequence um, that for a, for a good couple of minutes, this film was like, Superman is awesome. Here's a Superman movie with Superman being Superman. Isn't he great? And even throughout the rest of the film, I think generally, I think I did say this on on the spoiler free chat, but like that you're you are mostly invited to sympathise with him. And even during the fight, he's the one who doesn't want to kill the other guy in the fight. Whereas Batman is pretty much the baddie at that point. Um, you know, at least, I mean, we can talk about the lessons that Zack Snyder didn't learn from Man of Steel, and I'm sure we will, but it does feel like he and Goya have gone, and I know that Goya is someone who, who likes and respects Superman here. For all of my problems with Goya as a writer, you look at his history at DC and you can't deny that he's someone who is pretty strongly invested in that character. Um, so it did feel in this like they someone had had a word almost and they were oh yeah we should get across the fact that we actually wanted to make a superman film in the first place even though his screen time is quite you know reduced but well i was gonna say for me this time it doesn't feel like they don't like superman it feels like yeah. they're kind of disinterested in him like it, I, <laughs> I, I, I just feel like henry cavill he gets so little to do he just he's just so often like turning to like tv screens and furrowing his brow and like the scene where he turns up at the Senate hearing and he walks in and he stands there looking very like <laughs> pensive and uh, and then the entire room blows up and you can almost see kind of like Henry Cavill's heart just sink like that was supposed to be my big speech. That's, that's this is where that. I set out my ideology for the film. This is where I explain everything about what I'm trying to do in this world so that like my viewpoint can contrast the view that Batman has of me and what Lex Luthor's trying to present me as. And I don't well, I don't see myself as a god like you do building statues of me. Here is here is me espousing something that sets up a, a, a conflict in ideologies between Batman and Superman so that the fight makes sense. And <laughs> Henry Cavill doesn't get to say anything. Yeah, and because the, when the big fight, When the big fight happens and he tries to talk to Batman, he doesn't get to say anything. And by the time the film ends, he's dead and he doesn't get to reflect on anything. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, should we should we start talking about some specifics and we can start getting either excited or angry about individual elements again um, as we go through? Because I'd kind of like to uh, discuss the two different opening sequences that this film has. Um, the first being the very Watchmen-y Batman flashback to his crime alley origin and then kind of a weird dream sequence thing where he falls down into the Batcave, um, and then also the Metropolis fight scene. But specific to Batman's origin, which, you know, that that opens the film, you know, it says we've, we've seen Superman already, this is our introduction to a new Batman. Did you feel we needed to see that? 
and and did it to begin with i would have i certainly did sort of roll my eyes to start with that it was just like oh god do we really need to you know and it really was just oh Zack snyder wants to do um what he did with watchmen but with frank miller's um you know famous repeated shot of of martha's pearls um which is just like it is now one of the most overused images in comics and, <laughs> and really needs to be over and done with um i would have preferred if they wanted to do that if they wanted to chuck batman's origin up at the start i think what i rather would have seen would have been a montage showing batman's career from the start up to the point at which we find him you know very quickly condensing here's the bits of the batman story that you know already and here is where this version of batman has gone in the years since then here's how he's different you know chuck in the reference to obviously what happened with the joker killing robin that kind of thing Wasting time on slow motion shots of the Waynes being shot felt so ridiculous and pointless. And it only ended up really, it did have a couple of redeeming features. One was the fact that um, it was the surprise appearance, because I hadn't seen any of the speculation around him in the first place, but that Jeffrey Dean Morgan was an uncredited mm. Thomas Wayne. I just quite and liked I Warren mean, Cohen from the that is, Walking Dead as yeah. Martha. Um, you know, Jeffrey Dean Morgan as Batman's dad, that is, that is good <laughs> casting. Um, <laughs> And obviously, it led to the Martha thing, which I'm sure we'll discuss when we get to it. Which uh, is, I think, ultimately the reason why this scene is there. Because oh, this is, this is the first the superhero hero yeah. movie. It's the first superhero movie I can remember in quite a while that went, forget daddy issues, we need mummy issues. And so, kind of. Which is something that I think is interesting about this film and worth picking apart for that reason. Because I think we even talked during The Man of Steel. Uh, episode, or maybe maybe we didn't. Or I'm sure I've had this conversation recently about how daddy issues completely infect both movies and comics at the moment, and it's to do with, I think, the age of the guys writing them, the fact that they didn't necessarily have great relationships with their dads, maybe because they were a bit nerdy and into comics, and now they're all kind of in their 30s or 40s and have become dads. It's just this whole thing right across all of genre fiction it's like at the how moment. Tons of computer games suddenly are about looking after children. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, you know, I think I think I think it's interesting to see a film that actually doesn't do that and instead goes really heavily on the you know the the mother importance instead. Whether it does anything interesting with that is another question. Yeah. It's it's like yeah, I would welcome mummy issues rather than daddy issues just for a change of pace if anything. But then yeah, even do something interesting with them or don't use the mummy issues to hang the single dumbest like plot it's just like it's just a, a, the most convenient way to get batman and superman to stop fighting like at just a second's notice all right tell you what since we've mentioned it let's have that argument now because I'm aware that this is, again, from seeing other people talk about it, I'm aware that this is an area in which I'm in a minority. I liked that. I liked that moment. I liked the fact that as someone who has been reading these characters for nigh on 30 years, I'm not sure I'd ever made the connection that their mothers both have the same name. Although with Superman, his mother wasn't always called Martha anyway. I think she was originally called Sarah. So, But even so, I had never really made that link. If that was still the case, he'd be dead right now. (laughs) He would, yes. (laughs) He'd be even Um, deader. Even deader. And I think maybe the way that it was played... You know, it's a bit too sudden a turnaround from Batman's point of view, but that's what happens when you've got a film where you've crammed too much stuff in already it's and you're hurtling towards Seth. the end of it. It's so horrible. It's No, but I liked it, it, it as the no, moment I'm, of Batman I'm has completely gone past oh. a certain point and he's gone past all logic and reason and he has forgotten 
why he's Batman in the first place, which is that his parents were killed and he is determined to make sure that that doesn't happen to other people. He's basically forgotten about his parents at that point. He has also forgotten, he, he has started to see Superman as completely, you know, essentially an inhuman monster and, and gives him no link to actually being a person. And all of that comes together in one moment where just purely accidentally, you've also got the point of the fact that Superman doesn't care about the fact that he's going to die at that point. He cares about the fact that his mother's going to die. Like mm -hmm. if it wasn't for that, he would let Batman and kill him essentially um, all of that comes together in a moment where by Superman saying that one name and admittedly by having Lois show up with the handy bit of exposition to explain why he said it because <laughs> you know otherwise I think it would have just angered Batman and he would have just gone ahead and killed him um, all of that comes together and I genuinely think it's the strongest character moment for both of them in the entire film I really liked it. it's silly it's a silly link and it's you know if you boil it down to Batman decides not to kill Superman because he really, he finds out that their mothers both have the same name. That sounds silly. But it is one of the few moments where I felt the script actually nailed something and it just really worked for me. I really thought that was a great moment. I'm yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm, you're completely, that, James. I'm completely with Seb on that. I think like most of the rest of the film lacked any proper definition for the characters, but that one moment really, like especially as Seb said, because you've got like 60 years of comics or whatever where no one has really made that connection before mm. so it's as well as I being mean, unexpected and quite clever it it has all that character stuff underpinning it if only for a second like i'm not saying yeah <laughs> the rest of the film doesn't really deliver that that sort of depth I, I i turned to james at that moment and said you've got to give them that cleverness yeah. you know for a moment i mean i think that moment is this film's equivalent of the welcome to the planet line i would never have thought two or three weeks ago that I would be the one <laughs> really just just unable to comprehend your point of view on <laughs> on a point that's positive in a Zack Snyder Superman, Superman movie. Yeah. Because I'm as I surprised just, as you are. <laughs> I wonder if it comes back to that same thing, which is something I think I've repeated over and over again in our Man of Steel episode, which is that I think sometimes Snyder has a good idea and it or has an idea that could work and just completely fucks up the execution and i think yeah. it just it fl i think it's i think it would be so difficult to do anything that would after nearly 2 hours of a movie which has been building up to batman and superman are going to have a big fight to end that fight in a second and suddenly have batman go Oh, no, shit, yeah, oh, God. Um, to the point that literally two minutes later, he calls himself Superman's friend to Superman's mum. That I'm line like, did really? feel too soon. Like. <laughs> yeah, I'm a friend of your son's. No, you, you just had a spear at his chest. I mean, the, the only way I can forgive that is the scene wouldn't really work if he shows up and says, I'm a guy who a couple of minutes ago wanted to kill your son, but now I've realised I shouldn't have done. It's at least a more succinct way of putting it. And also, the only reason I don't hate that line is that it's the only line in the movie that acknowledges the possibility of Batman and Superman being friends rather than enemies. And, <laughs> you know, friends. I would rather see a film. I saw there was a, there was a Twitter hashtag game of, you know, change something, make a film better, you know, change a word, make a film better. Um, and someone, I can't remember who it might've been Adam Lowe's maybe, um, said Batman and Superman Dawn of justice. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm going to try and uh, segue back to those opening sequences now because I'll end that argument be with 
I, I wonder whether maybe the only way that it does work to an extent that you can kind of believe it is that the conflict has been so woefully established pre the fight that it's like, oh, well, the conflict doesn't really make any sense anyway. So I guess they could get over it that quickly because I don't really understand why they're fighting in the first place. Um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so well, I'll use that to segue right back to the start of the movie and Batman or Bruce Wayne going through Metropolis and viewing the destruction of Metropolis from the end of Man of Steel. Now, I thought visually this was perhaps the most impressive sequence in the movie. Um, I I thought it worked. Uh, It kind of delivered everything that I hoped it would based on that flash of it from the trailer. Mm. Um, I mean, Batman doesn't do very much, but you can see him kind of being... You, you can see that the stakes are personal for him and, you know, I think it's meticulously set up so it does all match the stuff that happened in the first film and I I've, I've thought it was just some really nice visuals of seeing him looking up and seeing these, almost these two specks flying through the sky into each other but then causing this incredible destruction. Um, and um, that worked for me. Uh, it might have been the last thing in the movie that really did work for me about five, ten minutes in. Um, but that, I wonder what you guys thought of that scene, particularly because you hate that sequence at the end of the last movie so much. And James specifically hates... You, James, you hate the 9-11 imagery at the end of Man of Steel, right? Yeah, and so, at the start of this and, film, to be fair. Yeah, which this film goes... <laughs> you thought you'd seen your 9-11 terrorism imagery? Think again. Yeah, like, I'm... I find it incredibly distasteful and like it's not just Zack Snyder like lots of action movies do it but I'm never I'm never comfortable when it happens and the fact that Snyder really doubled down on it like there were sequences in this that were just like they remi- literally reminded me of the news footage it's the it's the people running into and out of the the smoke and the dust isn't yeah, it exactly. that was just like, like because you can you can do this kind of destruction and not have to show that specifically it's mm-hmm. it, it's the dust that is the very specific imagery yeah, to nine exactly. eleven and seeing seeing Batman run straight into it though is a good like establishing heroic shot. Oh yeah, I I liked the the thing of him running towards the carnage like that. You know that's a good Batman slash Bruce Wayne moment, but specifically the imagery is kind of gratuitous. I mean the whole the whole sequence was brilliantly executed and that was I I really I found myself very conflicted watching it because yeah there was the there was the utter distaste at the fact that he had, he had doubled down on something that people had criticized from the first film and he had ignored that criticism and I think that is a criticism that he shouldn't have ignored and I think it was hugely distasteful to as James says you know to double down on the 911 imagery on the other hand I was watching that going well the way that he has shifted the perspective on the sequence from the first film and it was the little shots yeah it was the specks in the sky and it was the seeing you know the fight in the sky from the perspective of someone on the ground not understanding what is going on and what is happening and you know all of a sudden you're looking at a building and then all of a sudden heat vision is tearing it apart and you're like well you know if you're just standing on the street below you don't know what the hell's going on that's something that in a a superhero film or in a comic book film we've never really seen before and it was really well executed and gave you a really good sense of being there and you could completely see what it was trying to get across in terms of how ordinary people would have related to the events of Man of Steel 
I just wish it hadn't felt so deliberately like 9-11 because if it hadn't, if it had distanced itself enough and if the styling had been different, that genuinely would have been one of the, the absolute strongest and most interesting sequences in the film. Do you know what? Just in the just in the uh, service of disagreeing about everything in this film, <laughs> I, I don't have a problem with the 9-11 stuff because I kind of feel like I've seen lots of atrocities referenced visually cinematically over the years and I wonder whether maybe just that because this is the one that was like this is the one that happened when we were younger and obviously you know no, it was I think like it's a more, it's the one event but I just feel like it's so ubiquitous in cinema and that at least if someone like Snyder is doing it with a degree of strong artistic vision and and like really striking powerful imagery um, I don't I don't have a problem with it so much. I think the thing with 9-11 specifically is not so much that it's recent, it's that it happened live on television. It happened live on television yeah. and it happened and it looked like a movie. And that was the thing everyone said at the time was this looks like a movie. And I think that is why you have to be so careful if you're doing anything that looks like 9-11 in a movie because it has got that indelible association and it's the fact that it was happening live on, on TV. Fair enough. Let's stick with Batman because uh, the, the the start of the movie tends to. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I wonder what you think of... Batman generally like are we all still I think we said earlier all generally fans of how Ben Affleck imagined this character or the performance yeah. he brings the kind of world weary downtroddenness um, and I would say mm. just as good in and out of the suit in fact uh, in terms of people are talking about the best ever screen Batman and I think it might be a bit too early to say on that but in terms of someone who I don't have a major concern with believing you know kind of either one of the Bruce Wayne or Batman I, I, I don't feel like there was a weak side to that I thought he worked mm. just as well in and out of the suit um, I mean it helped that the film gave him so much you know so many of so he gave him so many scenes as Bruce talking to Alfred you know sort of um, who's also great Clark, Clark Kent wishes he could have had as many scenes as that yeah Irons is fantastic <laughs> I, I think maybe just because it was possible to get a bit tired of the Michael Caine version I think at this point I would say potentially that Jeremy Irons is my favourite screen version of Alfred I think I liked him more than the Michael Caine version but I think that's because the Michael Caine version was easy to get tired of and descended slightly into self-parody in, in Dark Knight Rises um, <laughs> but I mean on, on Batman I mean the thing about Batman is there is no such thing and there will never be such a thing as a definitive version of Batman. There are too many different interpretations of Batman and it is not possible, I don't think, certainly not on screen, for someone to show up and play Batman and feel like a, a definitive interpretation of every version of Batman that you've ever seen. It's just not possible. So that's why I don't I don't think I'll ever be able to say which I think is the best screen Batman either you know we talked on on the when we were talking about Batman 89 you know I love Michael Keaton's version of Bruce Wayne but it is a very specific interpretation of Bruce Wayne and it's not like a lot of others oh. and I felt similar about Affleck like this is a really interesting take on a specific version of Batman. He plays that specific version of Batman brilliantly. This is not a version of Batman that I would want to see in every single Batman film that we ever get from now on. But I really want to see a whole film with him playing that version of Batman specifically and exploring that very damaged, broken version of the character. I really liked it. James, I wanted to ask you about Batman in action in this movie. Um, the trailers kind of hinted at that it was going to be a very, like, Arkham style of kind of 
action and you know his kind of fighting style and the way that he uses his various gadgets and stuff and I mean I particularly liked the very first scene that we got with Batman um, in fact it was probably my favourite Batman scene in the movie where he is branded that sex trafficker and the <laughs> cop walks into the room and like it's it's what Snyder does best you kind of you see Batman in the corner um, it's like a horror movie shot almost and then he turns oh, yeah, to yeah. him and shoots and Batman kind of like scurries along the wall like a bat before he flies out I, I mm-hmm. just really really enjoyed him in motion I wonder yeah was it was that something you liked going more in that that kind of direction with it, with him in the suit yeah because that, like that's the sort of thing that I think the films haven't really captured uh, like obviously the Arkham games did it really well the kind of fluidity of Batman and the the sort of idea of him as a like still a physical presence but just one you can't get any grip on there's that one sequence in Begins the down at the docks quite yeah. early on yeah. that yes, I yeah, think yeah, does it but it, yeah. apart from that yeah but still, yeah, like, I wouldn't say it's it's not on this level. Yeah, like the mm. '90s films, kind of, he's just a guy punching people, and most of the Dark Knight trilogy, he's just sort of walking up to people and beating them senseless. Whereas this, you kind of get the impression that there's no way you could lay a finger on him, even if like he's always <laughs> two steps ahead of you. I, I will never get tired of it, it's a Frank Millerism, but I will never get tired of scenes. Um, where you have an old Gotham cop and a younger Gotham cop, and the younger Gotham cop is really excitable and doesn't really un- understand or has never seen <laughs> Batman, and the older cop is like, "No, don't shoot the Batman, don't be an idiot," and that yeah. kind of thing. You're just always like those. <laughs> don't <sheets>. waste your bullets. <laughs> um, the the other side of Batman that I I mean we spoke about this before having been something that's never really shown up on the screen, and I would argue after this film, although I know some people disagree, that we still haven't seen Batman as a detective. Because no. <laughs> honestly, like it, first, like he seemed to be investigating stuff, but like in in a way that like Mark Ruffalo was investigating stuff in Spotlight, just getting on his computer and googling things and making a couple of phone calls or whatever. The amount of time it, t- it takes him to figure out who the white Portuguese is, and like, ah, oh, how <laughs> how am I gonna get into this file of Lex Luthor's? I'm I'm gonna decrypt it. All right. Should we should we talk about some of the other characters in this movie? <laughs> characters, you the say? The ones that aren't Batman. I guess they, <laughs> they are, they are they're in there. Characters. I would kind of lump this kind of like 45-minute sequence together, which is, it's after the Metropolis sequence. It's, you know, it's the 18 months later, and we've got kind of narratives being established for uh, Holly Hunter in the Senate, which is kind of tying together with Lex Luthor and the research he's doing, but also, you know, we're kind of getting sequences of those separate. We're getting Batman in Gotham sequences. We're getting Superman in Metropolis and him and Lois Lane and, um, and him and the, him at the Daily Planet and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then there's Scoot McNary, who is kind of in there as well. And, I just felt like I was watching five or six different movies and it took and, and, and as well, which is something we're going to get to is the dream sequences and kind of visions that are thrown in there as well. And I just felt like I couldn't get a handle on this movie for like an hour. I didn't I didn't know where I was. I heard one person pointing out um, this might have been in Devin Farachi's review, actually saying that there's a scene that kind of ends with um in the Daily Planet, one of the three or four, jo- four jokes in the movie that Seb mentioned on our immediate reaction, where 
um, Perry says something like, oh, you can't just tap your heels and get back to Kansas. And then the scene cuts to the next scene and you're like, oh, yeah, editing. We're going to be in Kansas now. And it's just like <laughs> Lex Luthor doing something in Washington or something. Like just the, the, the editing of that first hour is just abysmal. There is no flow to the movie. And I just I didn't have a clue what was going on. And because there's so many other jarring elements like Jesse Eisenberg's, I think, truly, truly catastrophic performance. Again, something I heard a review comparing him to, like, he's trying to do what Heath Ledger did for the Joker, except kind of missing every swing. Oh, <laughs> come on. No, I, 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 I couldn't be more on board with that. I, I mean, say, I, I, I liked Eisenberg I, a lot. I went into the film expecting to hate him, and I was surprised with how much I... I think we did, you know, we did talk about this previously, but he was... I mean, I don't mind Lex Luthor just being ridiculous and over the top because that is Lex Luthor. I'm I'm going to retract my criticism of Lex Luthor that I'm not sure whether I made this on the podcast or not but that that basically I just didn't understand his motivations that he doesn't have any motivations. I think that actually thinking about it the film does a a decent job of establishing that Luthor and Batman are kind of two sides of the same coin. They both view Batman as this <laughs> they both view, they both view Superman as this kind of this god figure who has come and arrived on their world and kind of made them feel a little bit impotent. And they're both <laughs> figuring out how to act and respond to that. And so I think Luther's motivations make sense through that prism and that he is he is just an evil maniac who has been made feel made to feel impotent by this god and wants to lash out at him. Um, so I'll retract that criticism. The performance, well, I mean... Well, hang on a second, because I Sorry. I like the performance, but I don't think the motivation is there at all. <laughs> I think you've projected that onto the onto the character. Like, I think they've just gone, oh, Maybe. he's evil because he's Lex Luthor, so he's evil. I, I also think his, his plan has a tremendous flaw in it that for someone who's supposedly a really smart guy, he hasn't spotted, right? So he's kidnapped. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The person who he knows to be Superman's mother and basically said she's going to be killed unless you kill Batman 
Um, and if you kill me, she'll die, right? Um, well, what if happens, the fight goes the other way? <laughs> well, what happens if Superman, after Superman does kill Batman? If Superman's already killed Batman, if Lex releases Martha, Superman can just go, right, she's safe now. I've just blown your head off with my heat vision. If Lex kills Martha, he's going to go, well, you've killed my mother. You have no hold over me. I'm going to blow your head off with my heat vision. Lex's plan can only lead to an angry Superman wanting to kill him. I mean, it doesn't in the end, you know, it kind of goes, instead, Superman dies. So he's he's kind of off the hook, really. (laughs) But otherwise, all he's done is given Superman a reason to kill him after everything has shaken out. And he does kind of like, his entire plan relies on Batman and Superman not having a second to talk during that whole thing yeah like just oh can i just quickly explain the situation first oh shit look i'll give you 30 seconds but after that i'm gonna throw the spear at you oh, i mean all- no your mum's got the same name as my mum <laughs> shake hands call it a day we'll call it a score the other thing is why does he go to all this trouble of having superman and batman fight one another when the next part of his plan is get doomsday to kill them both why doesn't he just <laughs> jump straight to get doomsday to kill them both because this is a Man of Steel 2 treatment that had Batman put over the top of it. I'm convinced. I'm convinced that that's what happened. Okay, so we're, so we're, we we found another thing we disagree on, which is Lex Luthor. Um, what, what what did you think of those first 45 minutes? Did you did you have the same struggle with them? No, I mean, personally, I, I was... There's the Africa I'd... sequence in there as well. <laughs> I mean, at that point in the movie, I was like, well, this could still go somewhere. Like, I, knowing that it was a sprawling two and a half hour epic, I kind of thought, well, you know, it will set up everything and then it will knock it down in the second half. And everything we're watching that seems disjointed here is probably there for a reason. So by the time I realised, oh, actually, it's just all all over the place, like I was already through it. Like on a technical level, it, it upsets me. But as a movie goer, <laughs> I don't care because I'm never going to watch it again. So <laughs> You wait, you're, you're going to watch the three hour rated cut on the dvd james you are anyway um another thing that made those 45 minutes so confusing for me were the the way that it kind of weaved in and out of things these dreams and visions it wasn't it was very rarely immediately clear that they were dreams and visions in fact i would say that it never was and actually i we as we came out of the screening we um yeah, we're having a chat with a couple of um, fellow critics outside and um, friend of the podcast, Matt Lucker. We were having a conversation with him and um, I was saying, is it canon that Batman can be like made to fly by bats swirling around him in a cyclone <laughs> like it is at the start of the movie? And Matt was like, no, no, but that was a dream sequence, wasn't it? And I was like, yeah, oh God, yeah, it was. No, yeah, I'm completely wrong about that. That was stupid. But the... the because the movie kept doing that because it because I was watching something and kind of assuming that it was real until it until the point at which it became clear it was a dream sequence and I was like oh okay so to the point that after the film I'd forgotten bit which bits were real and which bit were, bits were dreams there's the scene where Henry Cavill is walking up the mountain and just bumps into Kevin Costner who just starts <laughs> Talking about some weird anecdote from a farm. It's like this. This made the cut. You cut half an hour from this, and you left this in. Um, but then, like, the, I that mean, must the have big, been contractual the, with Costner. <laughs> the fact that that film, the film starts out with the kind of the the flashback and the the funeral scene actually turning out that that is Batman dreaming rather than it all being just a, a flashback is, you know, it kind of kind of sets the tone for that 
confusing kind of nature and what we're, we're going to have the the i think we're, we'll save the nitty-gritty of the kind of dark side referencing batman vision and flash arriving yeah let's <laughs> go batman <laughs> we'll leave all the we'll leave all the specifics of that towards the end when we kind of discuss what might be coming next and what all that means but like i mean, I mean another complaint i had was that so little of it felt actually relevant to this story it was like all the dreams and visions largely felt like they didn't play into what was happening in this film it was a future setup it was like uh, batman v superman had moved its post-credit scenes into just stuck them in the middle of the movie <laughs> We, we don't have space for these four post-credit stings, so we're going to put them all just in the film. And I just didn't know what I was watching half the time. I mean, I guess in terms of fitting into this, the the answer is probably that it's it was something that solidified his fears about what Superman was capable of. Yeah, which is what I thought it would be, but then there's all that other stuff in there. And the fact that Batman wakes up and then sees the Flash seat, then sees the Flash and then wakes up again, kind of questioning... Mm. You know, we've we've double incepted at that point. The thing about those, like all those dream sequences, were that they were so vivid, and there was nothing to sort of delineate them from the rest of the no, film. No, nothing. It's impossible sometimes to te- like you say that scene on the mountain. Was that? Did that happen, or was it a dream? I don't like. Snyder I still shoots non dream sequences using often using some of the language of dream sequences in movies like his his slow-mo it's like yeah, if he yeah. didn't do his slow-mo stuff all the time you could have it just in the dream sequences to differentiate them but he doesn't i mean snyder has a strong visual style but it's a very one note visual style and colour palette and look and everything else. And it's like, you can look at a Snyder film and instantly know that it's a Snyder film, but within that he doesn't really seem capable of doing different looking things. It's one of the the problems that I have with the visuals of Watchmen. It's like, Watchmen is often visually a great looking film but it's, it's a story that needs to look different at different times and he doesn't really succeed in that. And it's the same here. He just puts the Zack Snyder filter on absolutely everything. So yeah, there's nothing to differentiate a dream sequence as a dream sequence. Now that could be deliberate. Maybe the film wants you to be wrong-footed by them and to think that you're watching reality and suddenly realise that you're watching a dream. But it's kind of a risky game to play. Yeah. And and for what purpose? You know, I think possibly the most interesting sequence in that kind of horrible mess of the first hour of the movie is the suicide bombing in the Senate. And I say interesting because I don't, I don't think I liked the scene. The, the, you you make the, the criticism about the 9-11 imagery. I've seen a lot of people complain about how distasteful it is to make a victim of an atrocity like that, uh, a disabled victim of an atrocity like that, a kind of pawn in a suicide plot you know, in Washington, it just it just felt cheap and distasteful. I mean, I, I I would agree. It's it's uncomfortable imagery, and you kind of like. Okay, on the one hand, I think that I think from a purely plot point of view, uh, and in terms of you know being a surprise in the film, a moment where you're in the middle of what you expect is going to be this kind of hearing scene with Superman, and and you know you've got a character like Holly Hunter's character, although I do forget the character's name, who has been built up as being a significant part of the plot. Mm. The sudden shock of that bombing and everyone in that room, including Lex's personal assistant Misty, being killed <laughs> while Superman stands there in the middle of it 
is quite striking. I really but didn't like see say, it coming at all. Yeah, it's one of the few did, things did, in this yeah, film really that was a didn't. complete surprise. Absolutely, completely agree. But yes, the the actual imagery and how it happens, and the fact that he is someone who was left disabled by what happened previously. You know, you if you're making a film like this, you have to be conscious of the trope of villain in a wheelchair. You know, it's like it's it's not something you can ignore. You're, you're massively tone deaf if you ignore that. And another thing and to so, add to the you know Snyder the, the or the screenplay's incoherence. I came out of that scene having no idea whether Scoot McNary was in on the plot or not. I, I just, mm. I just don't think it's clear from the film, and it feels like I when you've spent the time building that character, you sh- you should make that clear. You know, the scene is there for shock value, and the way in which the scene is played is quite uncomfortable. I think, um, James, I'd like something I'd like to ask you about. So the one thing I did think that worked about the scene that I was surprised that I thought worked about it was the explanation afterwards that yeah. Henry Cavill's Superman gives about why he didn't stop it because obviously you know he's faster than a speeding bullet and you know he, he's got x-ray vision and all that kind of stuff and he's got super hearing so really Superman should be able to spot that stuff and I quite like the explanation that he gives to Lois afterwards which is that you know he kind of he he'd let his eye off the ball and the reason that he hadn't seen it is that he wasn't looking and it's the one moment where you see this character questioning in himself in the film and kind of adding a little bit of complexity to that you know that batman superman conflict and the the way that they approach heroism yeah i mean it's the it's the kind of man part of superman that people often forget like anyone who goes oh superman's unbeatable it's like well he's not because he's a person Mm. and he's fallible and the Mm. idea that he you know he was preoccupied with something else so he wasn't thinking about other people's safety because he was more he was concentrating on you know he had a point he wanted to make it's one of those moments in the films in the film where you go Oh, actually, it is on. They are on Superman's side here because you know mm. they weren't saying he just didn't care or he, you know, he wasn't capable. It was that he, you know, he was thinking about something else and let his guard down. Like that's yeah, that's a. It's a good reason for Superman to make a mistake. And it comes at quite a nice moment in the film, it, it, in relation to Superman, anyway. Because I think it's. I think it's not long after we get that montage of Superman off heroing. And Seb, I know you liked that sequence a hell of a lot, right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's like all of a sudden for a, for a few minutes, the film was was being a Superman film that I wanted to see, and you know, and was and was playing with the idea of how Superman relates to the world and how the world relates to him, and was just showing him properly full on being a hero. And it was, yeah, I mean, you know, if if that sequence, just that sequence on its own completely isolated was lifted out of this film and dropped into man of steel i wouldn't hate man of steel half as much as i do <laughs> that's how much i liked that scene and it that's how much be, that scene is what i wanted to see in a superman film it seems to be referencing the scene in the uh in the very first superman film there's there's kind of a montage when he's first in metropolis there isn't there where he's kind of go around saving kittens from trees and all that kind of stuff yeah <laughs> um it's quite nice and then it but it does have that edge of you know, there is Superman, you know, that Day of the Dead being worshipped like a god. And from Love that. that first I, and that's trailer. one of the, the... You talked earlier about one of the problems with, with Cavill in this film, not so much with him, but with the way the film uses him, is that, you know, for a lot of this film, all that Superman does and is allowed to do is to stand there and be stoic. 
and it's true and it's 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 a way that this film presents superman and it's not an entirely invalid way of presenting superman but in that scene it works because what you've got is you know he's kind of standing there in the midst of all of this and all these people are just worshiping you know he's he's rescued one person from a building and all of a sudden there's 50 100 people around him wanting to touch him and you know just completely worshipping him and he's got he is that kind of quiet stoic version of superman but he's just got this slightly troubled look on his face and it's this look of you know on the one hand i'm happy i've just rescued somebody and that this person is alive but this is upsetting to me that this is how people view me there's a there's a lot of character going on in that scene more so than in most of what the rest of the film does with him mm. i think having said that it's going to be a seamless segue here. I think um, <laughs> even that kind of like, you know, the worst kind of just, oh, we've got nothing to do with Superman, let's have him standing there looking stoic. That treatment <laughs> is a country mile better than anything Lois Lane gets in this movie. Now, I said this before, I like Amy Adams. I think she stands up as a kind of credible version of, you know, a really kick-ass journalist in this world and I personally buy the romance. But what really annoyed me was that scene where she is put in severe danger and then saved by Superman. And then that next one where that happens again, and then that next one where it happens again. <laughs> it literally it happens in the Africa sequence at the start, it happens when Lex pushes her off the building, and it happens when she's drowning during the final fight at the end. Add to that that the one significant thing that Martha Kent contributes to this film is being kidnapped and then saved by Batman. And then we've got um, Holly Hunter's character, who is basically used as a pawn by the villain and killed. And I just I just found it so disappointing. And, you know, like, they, they do a decent job of presenting Wonder Woman without giving her an awful lot to do. Like, it made me think... A Wonder Woman movie could be quite good this time next year. I'm looking forward to seeing Gal Gadot doing that more. But it kind of felt a little bit invalidated by just how poorly every other female character was treated. I mean, at least Lois gets to contribute positively to the plot in that there are moments where she kind of helps to save the day. Even if it is just running up and telling Batman that that Martha is his mother's name. And also, you know, it is her who goes and, you know, nearly dies getting the the kryptonite (laughs) spear. Although it wouldn't be in the water if she hadn't chucked it in the first place. But, you know, at least least she atones for, for her error. God, that's that whole setup for that sequence is an absolute mess. Where where Batman is flying backwards and forwards between Metropolis and Gotham and going to Alfred on the on the like phone. What's going on, Alfred? I don't know, sir. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> knows what's going on. This film has completely lost any direction. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're approaching. Yeah, I mean, Amazing Spider-Man, Angry Joe levels here. <laughs> we should probably get to you know the, you know we need to get to the title fight we need to get to what this movie is on the tin because it's batman v superman and there's a it's, whole 10 minutes of it we build to this fight james you mentioned it was quite strange that like gotham and metropolis you seem to be able to from gotham see metropolis and vice versa she's like i need to get to metropolis i need to get to gotham give me a helicopter and it's a like she gets in the helicopter and goes, take me over there, and points at the bat signal in the sky. <laughs> the building that Lois gets thrown off of, is that in Metropolis? 
Because uh, they can um, see the bat signal from there. They're stand, yeah, they're standing on the Lex. It's the Lex Corp Tower in, so it's in prob- Metropolis. So it's probably Metropolis. Yeah. Yeah. So Bruce Wayne probably didn't need to drive that far to get there in the first. <laughs> I'm surprised that Batman and Zod, that Superman and Zod, didn't destroy half of Gotham in the first movie. True. Yeah. So that's strange. It's, that's strange it that is, um, the geography of this world is so compact. Because it does feel like a conscious decision, and, and yeah, that, that's not really the way they've been done before. I mean, DC's geography is kind of vague, um, you know, because it kind of has to be. Because all of DC's cities, none of DC's cities replace existing American cities. Like, Metropolis and Gotham both have elements of New York, and, and Gotham has elements of Chicago, but New York still exists in DC mm. Comics. Um, you know, there are characters who live in New York, and the same goes for, like, the West Coast. Like, you've got Star City, and you've got Coast City, but you have also got LA and San Francisco and stuff. DC, um, Gotham and Metropolis are both supposed to be on the East Coast, but the closest to an official line that I've seen is that Metropolis is in Delaware and Gotham is in New Jersey? So they fight for ten minutes, and it is a good. It's a good fight. I I like the the use of the kryptonite to give a sequence where Batman has the edge, but then he recovers from it, so it turns around and Superman has the edge. And I do just like Batman being thrown through walls by Superman. <laughs> I just, I mean, I'm thinking for to, forward to something that. I am already invested in, which is Captain America Civil War, because I know and like those two characters um, that are going to be facing off in that movie. And if that movie transitions as fast as this one does from the heroes fighting into the kind of maybe the background Hydra threat, I think I'll be really disappointed because that's not what I've signed up for. I've signed up for a civil war. And here I'd signed up for Batman v Superman. I hadn't signed up for Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman v CG Blob. And I I just wanted a little bit more of it. Or if maybe the amount of action was enough, if maybe that action was split up by some more of Batman and Superman ideologically fighting. But the point, the reason they're not able to do that is because this entire fight is orchestrated by Lex Luthor anyway. And it's built on such flimsy groundwork that yeah it does it, it it does kind of feel like it needs to end when it ends even though those even those those 10 minutes or so are quite good it ends at the point where they actually talk to each other yeah as opposed to when they reach a common ground for their warring ideologies what did you what did you guys think of the actual fighting though was there any was were there any kind of standout moments in that sequence that you thought oh that's really cool i want to talk about like the fight turning the moment i particularly liked was batman is punching superman and then all of a sudden it goes clang yeah uh, yeah, because superman's got his powers back i I liked that (laughs) yeah that was Uh, a good that was a nice little moment (laughs) it was just weird though how you build up to this you know, this big awe-inspiring fight between Batman and Superman that's supposed to happen. And then it takes place inside, like, a grotty, abandoned building. I suppose it gives them stuff to smash through, but it it, it does feel... It felt... In that sense, it felt slightly anticlimactic. To be fair, the like... Avengers are heading to an airport, so... <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. this, this might be somewhere where Batman v Superman even has the upper hand... <laughs> I, I actually, to be honest, though, I've got to say, as as far as the conflict between them goes, I thought the better moment actually was before the fight was the moment that had kind of been shown in the trailers, but not in its entirety, which is when Batman's had that long Batmobile car chase, and then just all of a sudden, from out of nowhere, Superman turns up 
lands, crashes into the Batmobile, and then just basically goes, right, I've had enough of this, stop it, and flies off. Oh, I thought that was a great <laughs> moment, even I though it had that. the do you bleed line. Yeah. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think about the fact that this fight is orchestrated by Lex Luthor? Like, you, we've spoken about how it doesn't really work as a plan. It's not something that a super genius should come up with. But I just thought, again, it removed so much of the agency from that fight. And the fact that Superman turns up at the fight not wanting it anyway. I, well, it, it, it had to be that way, really, because if Superman <laughs> wanted the fight to happen, the fight would be over would, in five seconds. Snap Batman's neck. Exactly. Superman turns up and tries to talk to Batman, and Batman attacks him and weakens him, and that's what starts the fight. If it was the other way round and Batman was the one trying to talk down Superman, he would have just literally had his head ripped off. So you need to have Superman. And because I think going into the film, I had the question of, you know, how are they going to make this convince as if the two of them are, are really... Why are they going to be willing to fight in the first place? I don't buy that Superman would be willing to fight. So I think the, the Lex justification does give you the reason why he's fighting and also the reason why he isn't just going to straight up try and destroy Batman. And this fight, obviously, it was it was completely, you know, the, the, when this movie was announced, everyone was like, well, Batman v Superman, that brings to mind The Dark Knight Returns, which is something I haven't read. How does this fight relate to that? Not at all, really. It's, it's not really like it at all. You know, it, it's got Batman using kryptonite, but that's about it. Right. What happens in Dark Knight Returns is Batman uses kryptonite, Green Arrow is involved as well in the deployment of said kryptonite. Um, does he, and shoot, Batman does also... he shoot it on an arrow? He does, yes. Oh, and Green Arrow's great. only got one arm at this point as well. <laughs> but it's but it's not. But so basically, it's not. It's not that similar. Is it? So is it just literally kryptonite and a and a metal suit, a reinforced suit? Pretty much, yeah. There's a nuclear bomb involved as well. But yeah, hey, there's, a nu- there's a nuclear bomb in this movie. But that's earlier in the. It's earlier in the in in Dark Knight Returns. But actually, one of the bits that's most similar to Dark Knight Returns is the nuclear sequence and what happens to Superman. I was surprised to see that in the film. I thought it was quite a striking like a image. In Dark Knight Returns. I, yeah. I, I thought the image looked really... I thought they did great work, whatever CG they did to Henry Cavill in that scene. Because um, mm. uh, it kind of plays... I think it kind of plays quite well in that you you don't for a second believe that he's dead. Uh, you, well, because also we've seen the next shot in the trailers. Um, but uh, it, I thought it looked slow. It was quite a quite a harrowing image, briefly. Yeah, so after that fight ends, obviously this all then leads to the big showdown with Doomsday, who in the comics, right, is famous for being the character who kills Superman in Death of Superman, but is not generally liked that much by fans. Is that fair? Yeah, there's just not a lot to him, really. He yeah. doesn't really have a character, so... Well, then, a faithful adaptation from Zack Snyder. <laughs> Except that this version is made from a terrible plastic model of Michael Shannon with really bad hair. I think Michael Shannon, at least... He at least did some filming for this. So maybe it was for, like, the earlier scenes. Yeah, on... the earlier scenes when he's on the slab, it looks like Michael Shannon. But the scene where he's where Lex is dunking him into that fluid yeah. is just excruciatingly bad. Yeah. So it's made from... It's like a hybrid of Lex and Zod, 
Lex's blood and Zod creates Doomsday. Mm. We're all going to agree. It was a horrible, horrible decision to show Doomsday in the marketing, wasn't it? I'm, yeah. I'm not sure I actually saw any of it in the marketing. Uh, did you not watch the trailer that ends with Batman and Superman teaming up to fight Doomsday? Uh, oh, maybe I did. I don't know. I don't remember. I knew Doomsday was going to be in it, but I don't remember seeing him. Yeah. Well, I it think... was the trailer that revealed that he was going to be in it, basically. Yeah. You had this monster turn up and they had to go... Yeah, that's Doomsday. <laughs> and I think it actively did a job of maybe dissuading from some people from seeing the movie. I mean, it's, I think it's going to be a big hit. Obviously, the reviews haven't been great. And like I say, I think aspects of that, like the marketing, I just think that this is a film with Batman and Superman in it. And as we've kind of discussed before, these are kind of like two of the three biggest, most recognisable characters in comics and the fact that it's making less money than an Avengers movie is an underperformance, even though you've got those you know, you've got more movies leading up to the first Avengers, um, but none of those outside of Iron Man were massive hits. Um, it, yeah, it, it, it feels like a kind of even, you know, if it doesn't go on and make a huge amount of money, I think, you know, anything middling is kind of a disappointment for this film. And I think revealing Doomsday in the trailers might have played a part into that because I think a lot of people might have gone, oh, I was really excited to see Batman and Superman fight and uh, I already know that then that they're going to make up. And like, because I, I, I don't feel like I'm going into Civil War knowing that Tony and Cap will have made friends by the end of that film. I think it's possible. Mm. Um, I kind of hope that they don't in a way. It does um, seem sort of likely that they I kind of hope they do. That's a more interesting status quo than the classic superhero like misunderstanding team up, which is what Batman vs Superman did. I'd, I think it would have even be more interesting if Batman and Superman kind of had come to like an uneasy truce before the end of this movie. That kind of like through necessity they'd had to stop fighting and had united to fight Doomsday, but they were still kind of feeling each other out. And maybe it wasn't until right at the end of the final fight that they finally got to a point where they trusted each other or, or, or respected each other and kind of got what the other one was trying to do. You know, maybe seeing them up close, you know, it showed a new side to them that they hadn't seen from afar. But we don't get that here. And then for the fight to be with this big CG creation, I mean, I, I said that I liked the, the Batman action scenes when he's, you know, fighting the goons in the building or crawling along the wall. And I quite like the Batman fighting Superman action scene because it's close quarters punching. Whereas this felt like three characters, two of which taking turns to run up towards a hero, uh, towards the villain, only to be swatted away and fly through the air. Uh, while big explosions happen around them, and then the third character just running away because that's bit, all he can do. It was a bit Fantastic Four versus Doctor Doom, wasn't it? <laughs> just any any bad superhero finale, like I, I far less visually interesting, I thought than the Man of Steel finale. They do make pains to kind of go, the area's cleared. Well, there's no people in that area, <laughs> so okay, you've again, technically you've understood the criticism, but probably deeply deep down you haven't. <laughs> Yes, I did think it was cool seeing Wonder Woman. This was a character who had never been on the screen before and she's using her powers and they were more visually interesting powers than Superman and Batman's, I thought, um, in this sequence anyway. You know, using a lasso and smashing her bracelets together and all that kind of stuff and, and her sword actually cutting Doomsday. I think, I think probably the most striking power that Wonder Woman had was the ability to smile and enjoy a scene in a Zack Snyder superhero <laughs> film. <laughs> like there's just there's there's that moment where she kind of smirks and she's enjoying the fight and you're like, "Oh, 
someone's having fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, the, the 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 big fight at the end is is a disappointment, right? Because I mean, again, this movie's called Batman v Superman. It's like Man of Steel disregarding all of its themes for the final fight, Snyder just doesn't seem to have a way of, you know, really lacing his the, the themes and the ideas of his movie or even telling as much about character through the action. Because again, like, Wonder Woman was great and she was cool, but I didn't really feel that action revealed sides of her personality to me other than she is kind of badass. I mean, yeah. she's got a lasso as well, which, you know, that's... That's unique, right? That is cool. And if that lasso has personality itself, then I take it all back. But I, again, I don't really feel like I saw the lasso's personality in this scene. So I guess, the guys, the only big, big thing that we haven't touched on is what happens right at the end of that fight. Again, I didn't see it coming. I didn't see Superman dying coming at the end of this. Now, did you? Is this something that happens in comics at any point? Well, death of Superman. He's killed <laughs> fighting Doomsday. In that sense, we really should have seen it coming. But I... Okay, I had seen spoilers that suggested that there was a funeral for Superman at some point. I thought it was either going to be a dream sequence or it was going to happen earlier and that we would get him being revealed to be alive properly at the end rather than in the fashion that it did happen. Mm. Uh, so I was surprised that it happened so late and that they went through the thing of... Not even so much that they went through the thing of having the funeral, but that Clark Kent is publicly dead because that seemed to make it look more permanent and to, you know, permanently kill off the secret identity. Yeah, even if Superman yeah. comes back, Clark can't, right? They could find a way, but I almost think it'd be more interesting if they didn't. But I, I talked about this a little bit on the Man of Steel podcast that... Maybe they just don't have an interest in doing stories about his secret identity and trying to fit the plot around that. Yeah. So maybe this is their way of not doing that anymore. Mm. But it was still a surprise to have the film end with essentially everyone thinking that he's mm. dead. I thought he would come back and that... I, 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 I don't want to talk too much about the end of, of Dark Knight Returns, but I thought it would be a riff on the end of Dark Knight Returns, basically. Right, okay. Um James, yeah. did you expect him to be more explicitly alive before the end of the movie? Because I, I, I kind of, I was kind of growing in surprise that they were not hinting that he was returning until we get the, you know, Inception final moment, but without the subtlety. Um, <laughs> I, 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 w I was surprised that they left it so long or that it was something as, you know, as just like, oh, well, so you know he's coming back, but you're going to have to wait until next time to actually see him or find out how so did, did that work for you as a choice and and did the death itself have impact i mean i you know as soon as doomsday showed up i was expecting it so oh, i'm right, not sure okay. that i'm not sure the death had impact for me and again like i i kind of thought they would hint before the film ended that he was going to be alive so i'd have if they had not done that i would have thought it was a much i would have thought it would have been quite a bold choice as mm. it is, it just it comes across to me as a standard comic book death. It's been done purely so it can be undone. And in yeah. that way, I'm not entirely interested in how he comes back. <laughs> did you did you read that final shot as he is already alive? Because I mean that kind of that kind of like anti-grav kind of earth rising. That's the same kind of stuff that happens when we see Superman take off. 
like when, when he flies for the first time in Man of Steel. Did you read that as maybe that was the moment that he was regaining life? Is it just, so? Is it is he already alive now, or is it just that kind of some kind of regeneration is happening? Part of me thinks that it might have been someone like trying to get his body out of the ground like i no i thought it was just basically him waking yeah, up yeah i didn't i didn't read it as this is definitely superman waking up like, <clears throat> i know I, 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 I did <laughs> and do you think that when he wakes up because this is something that i mean obviously i wasn't hugely enamored by this movie but i'm going to watch every superhero movie that dc pump out for the next 10 years because of this podcast and because it's what i do um i i, I, I you know, if I dislike them, fine, but I'll probably keep watching. So I'm I'm interested in what this means for the future movies. And so I guess, do you think that the state he returns in is going to be just Superman comes back to life? Or is he going to return in an altered state? I wonder if it's going to tie into Darkseid in some way. Like the reason why he's back is to do with Darkseid and that's maybe why he's in danger of being a threat perhaps that superman himself is in danger of being a threat yeah maybe he is brought back by doomsday and controlled by doomsday yeah. to begin with you know just uh, or something one. like that well so maybe yeah. that that um superman is almost kind of like a silver surfer kind of figure in the first justice league movie that he's the villain acting on behalf mm. of the the larger coming threat but he's actually not in charge of his own faculties because if we if we examine that vision that batman vision sequence a bit better i don't think there's any way to adequately explain from this movie how batman is having these visions other than that maybe the flash is able to make him dream the future as well as come and actually talk to him i don't know so but if you read that vision as an actual vision of the future We've got these kind of what are the what are the demony things called that are that are dark side things that are flying around in Batman's vision? Uh, parademons. Okay, so you've got the parademons that Batman is fighting. There is that big omega symbol like blazed into the earth, which I've read is is dark side's uh, symbol. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's burned in there. So it's uh, all that's pointing towards. Dark side coming again. Jesse Eisenberg at the end of the movie saying, he, "You've woken him up. He's coming. He's hungry, and all that kind of stuff." Now, I assume the first time that the Batman seeing Superman being evil was gonna be some kind of, you know, like like you said earlier, James, him, his kind of the way he views Superman in the movie as a threat, kind of coming through subliminally in this dream. But if we do read it as a vision of a possible apocalyptic future, what Superman's saying in that scene is something like, you know, um, she's gone or you killed her or something. It's something like that. And I think he said, like, you took her from me. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I think, yes. I think that was it. Yeah. So and then Superman is red eyed and evil and killing. And then Superman, uh, Batman wakes up and then we have the the vision of the flash who will we'll discuss more of him and future justice leaguers in a second he's saying something like the key is lois lane and oh no did i come back too early um it hasn't happened it hasn't happened to you yet or something but lois lane is the key and it's all because of her or something it's it's along those lines isn't it i would have to see it again so is mm. there a chance that that is full-on kind of vision of a future Justice League movie where Darkseid has arrived and, you know, maybe we're getting some kind of bizarro Superman being evil? Is it possible that all that is is actually 
what we can expect to see in a, a future movie. I mean, it certainly seems that way. It's just hard to judge too much, you know, about future plans when what we've had so far hasn't seemed like the most well-planned-out stuff. <laughs> certainly that, that seems to be the lines along which they're thinking, though. Part one's uh, been written of Justice League, so they, they mm. certainly know what direction they're going in now. Would that work yeah. for you? Because, I mean, I know you, you kind of felt like the first Superman movie wasn't a very good Superman movie, and whereas this does better by the character as far as you're concerned, there's not a lot of him in it. Do you want do you want to see Superman as a baddie? Not especially. <laughs> <laughs> it would feel like it would undo some of the good work that this film did with it. <laughs> what about you, James? Could you could you see it working of Superman being a baddie for like Justice League Part One and then reverting back for part two? No, because Superman's not interesting as a villain, is he? Like what what can you do with Superman as a villain that enhances the character like it just i can't see any reason again i guess Zack snyder doesn't care about character in any particular sense so if he ends up doing justice league maybe it won't matter but But, uh, i don't don't think you can say anything about superman as a villain that that would make it an interesting take i mean i'm sure there are people who disagree with me but and would it be a bit disappointing to jump from batman v superman where ostensibly the characters are supposed to be fading off to Justice League Part 1, where Superman's a villain. I mean, You know, would that kind of feel underwhelming? Yeah, because, you know, we've seen the hero versus hero fight. I like supervillains. I would prefer to see a supervillain. So so basically what we're saying is we're hoping that Superman returns just as Superman. (laughs) Pretty much. That's how it happened in the comics. Yeah. So, speaking of The Flash, what did you think of that scene? Because I'll be honest... I wasn't 100% sure it was The Flash. I thought, that probably is The Flash. But Ezra Miller in that kind of armoury kind of helmet that was kind of coming apart, it was a weird visual. But also, I couldn't tell 100% that it was Ezra Miller. For a second, I thought it was Scoot McNary, because Scoot McNary wasn't dead (laughs) at that point in the film yet. (laughs) I was very confused. So what, what did you think of that? that part of the flash that we saw the talking to batman bit i as someone who's been quite skeptical about the idea of doing the flash in the movies when you've got the tv show and specifically the idea of doing barry allen when you've got a version of barry allen i still wonder why he has to be called barry allen but i what i liked about both that and the the cctv scene of the flash that we got were that I'm already getting a sense of how he'll be different. What he reminds me of is... Now, I'm going to show my lack of knowledge by forgetting what the Earth 3 evil version <laughs> of the Flash is oh, called. Oh, yeah, that's typical, typical um, Seb forgetting the obvious stuff. Um, Johnny Quick, um, who's the kind of villainous Flash. Johnny um, Quick. In, in, is he in Jimmy Morrison's brother? <laughs> in Grant Morrison's JLA Earth 2... Um, he's kind of this completely hyper nervous on edge character. You know, it's sort of it's it, it's it's more an exploration of what happens when the world rest of the world moves too slowly for you. Mm. And it looks like that might be the way they go with him. I quite liked his kind of raggedy nature and sort of just you know really it it was quite striking. I think for that sequence, it was just so unusual and so not what I would have expected from an appearance. And what about the, the costume? Flash, but. Well, again, it looked weird. It, it didn't look like how I would have expected. But if that's if they're going for that kind of slightly ramshackle look to him, then I mean, it's hard to judge. I'd need to see the scene again. That that is a scene I would quite like to see again from this film. But in order to judge it a bit better, but 
I, I was intrigued by it. And definitely distinct from yeah, all, all of the all of the stuff that's going on on TV. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. My problem with that scene, as I, I think I've kind of already referenced, is that it felt like a post-credit scene stuck into the middle because it didn't really have it, it didn't have any bearing on what happened in that movie. You know, Lois Lane's the key and all that kind of stuff doesn't. It's it was clear setting up for a future movie. It's like Seb says though, that's like that's very comicsy and I I enjoyed it for that reason. Mm, well I, I think I mean a lot of the time I mean I love little nods. Like I love watching uh, you know, Marvel movies with my girlfriend and kinda of going, Oh, that's a nod to such and such and she kinda of goes, oh, yeah, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> I kind of feel like I have to point it out and I'm quite excited about like about the, these little nods here and there. Um, I think what annoyed me more about that flash scene in retrospect was the way that they introduced, they integrated in the Justice League setup on Lex Luthor's computer, where Lex Luthor himself has given them logos and code names, and <laughs> it's already like I just think there are so many easy ways to integrate those characters into the film in a way that didn't feel like they'd been like shot for post credits like the, the it was just so it it was so uncinematic the way that the scene unfolded with like reading emails and opening folders and you know that i mean the the wonder woman image was played like oh god this is th- that woman that you've seen already she's wonder woman it's like yeah, yeah we we, <laughs> we all we all knew and then the Aquaman scene, it looked like Cal Drogo was holding his breath under the water for the entire scene. Like, I hope they figure out a better way to do the underwater effects between <laughs> now and that movie, because Jesus Christ. And then, I actually quite like the Flash one, but uh, <laughs> it was just the way they unfolded with just clicking on a, on a computer screen. So that's me slagging off the execution again. But did you did you like oh, the cyborg in it? I completely forgot about cyborg as well. <laughs> Cyborgs in it as well. Um, did you like those bits? I mean, they were they were a bit cheaper. They felt like some kind of viral viral YouTube thing that they're just kind of stuck into the film. That's exactly what they feel like, isn't it? That you've kind of unlocked a code on a pre on like on the Cloverfield marketing campaign. Yeah. And here's a shot. Here's a shot. Of this guy in the sea the the comics reader in me did just have the thrill of this is seeing these characters on the screen for the first time the way that they were dropped into the film was pretty ridiculous and the fact that you had you saw that there were four there but then batman only watches one of them and it's like well we're obviously going to see the rest (laughs) of them at some point um i did like the flash scene you know i think the flash scene was the best of them the aquaman one was just oh okay it's aquaman we've seen him on the poster he's aquaman nobody cares the cyborg one well, I suppose it raises the question of what's the mysterious box? Is it a mother box? Is it to do with uh, the new gods and dark side and stuff? But otherwise, it was just... That one felt like it was there to get into people's heads just the very idea that there is a character like that because Cyborg is by far the least well-known of the characters they're going to have. The way that they're put in just feels a bit cynical, particularly because, um, I think you said this, um, you know, they felt like they could have just been cut out. They were done in such a way that if they decided to completely cut them out of the film, they could have done. Say say they suddenly lose confidence in, I don't know, Ezra Miller or Ray Fisher or, you know, <laughs> one of the one of these people that they go, oh, right, okay, we're going to recast and we'll cut that. Or, or like say that they decide to cancel the Cyborg movie and replace it with a Green Lantern movie that they could just, just quickly film a scene of a guy picking up a ring just as easily and throwing that in there. 
Um, I did. I did. I guess I liked that Luther was monitoring meta humans, so that kind of leads any leaves anyone who's kind of like more vigilante side of things, like Green Arrow kind of people, out of the picture. And you know, Green Lanterns. If there's no one on this planet that has a ring yet, they wouldn't. They wouldn't show up. So I kind of it. it I, I think I was also disappointed that I thought Man of Steel would be kind of the thing that brought all of these these other heroes out into the world and made them notice because like he spurred some characters into becoming heroes or that um you know he, you know basically his arrival brought about the age of the superhero rather than that they were kind of just all out there already and no one had bothered to look. I, I thought it would have been quite nice if Aquaman had been pissed off about the way that the, you know, the, the God engine went into the <laughs> sea at the end of the last film and came up and it went, went what the fuck. somewhere in the Indian Ocean, according <laughs> yes. to that caption. <laughs> Wonderful <laughs> caption. I, I think we all laughed at that when that came up. Um, I don't know. I just wanted a little bit... I just, everything in this film I wanted more from. You know, I just I just felt like it was a constant barrage of disappointments. And I said this to you guys on the night, I felt like, because there, there were people around us in the screening we were in, like, whooping and hollering, like, any time there was, like, anyone getting <laughs> yeah. punched or someone doing something vaguely <laughs> superhero We had the fortune to be seated in front of the target audience with the film. Yeah, it was like... Uh, Oh yeah, yeah, I said. <laughs> my favorite moment was when the guy behind us, just as um, Wonder Woman was about to uh, was was about to like unveil herself as Wonder Woman, he was like, "You go get him, sweetheart." And I was like, oh, God, no, <laughs> "No!" And they were just like, "He was like, oh my days!" When he's punched, when Batman's punching Superman and stuff like that. And I kind of, I got it to an extent. There was some of those moments that were like, yeah, that was cool. That was cool. That was cool. But I was kind of still busy shaking my head at the stuff that I disapproved of um, very grumpily. And um, every time they whooped and hollered, I was annoyed at them. I was like really annoyed. I was like, what? why are you enjoying this film so much? And I think what they were enjoying were all of the cheap thrills that Snyder provides. And ultimately, that's my problem with this movie. I think it is a bunch of cheap thrills assembled very very poorly um in fact as poorly to the point that there's some stuff in there that i just can't believe got through the super the the studio system that this was a movie that has been was announced three years ago and some of the stuff that happened was still as clumsy and as badly established and thematically weak as it ends up being, it was almost like they just went, well, as long as we get the character, as long as people like Batman, and as long as they like Wonder Woman, and as long as they like Superman, they're going to come back for the for the future movies, even though this one's rubbish and makes no sense. And I think they'll probably succeed in that regard. So, you know, congratulations. Well, I mean, like, all the only thing they did wrong was hire Zack Snyder. <laughs> <laughs> And David Goyer. Well, yeah. And, and Chris <laughs> Terrio, I think. You, you, know, you won an Oscar. Well, you know, you think you should give that back. <laughs> <laughs> this, this screenplay is an abomination. It's a doomsday of a, of a script. I, I still have a strong suspicion that um, Chris Terrio came in and rewrote all the Bruce and Alfred stuff. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ascribe to him the those quite good scenes with Bruce and Alfred. Okay. Maybe I'll let him off. Don't give back the Oscar yet, Chris. <laughs> but I'm gonna investigate this further. And you think I won't have a close eye on Justice League Part One? Because it needs to make some sense. 
I mean, the thing is, I mean, as far as summing this up goes, I, I don't disagree with you that the only thing that's really any, apart from a, a couple of those character moments that I talked about, um, it is cheap thrills that it offers um, with not very much substance and not very well put together. But this time around, I was on board for some of those cheap thrills. And I think the best way I can sum up how I enjoyed this film was not dissimilar to the way in which I enjoyed The Punisher. It's like, it's not a good film, but I was not bored while watching it. And, I, you know, I, I do feel quite similarly about this film to how I felt about the Punisher film. Liking it, not even really liking it, but just in a quite guilty way. <laughs> yeah, it's on no objective terms is it a good film, but on the pure level of it's Batman and Superman sharing the screen and, you know, getting into a big fight. It's hard to criticise on that level, and that's the only level it needed to work on, as far as I'm concerned. What movie are you looking forward to most, as a point to end this on? Which upcoming DC movie are you looking forward to most? So, you know, you've got all the individual movies for those Justice League members, you've got Justice League Part 1, and obviously there's Suicide Squad in coming this year. So, I'd like, is there, is there any one that, after seeing this film, you're like, yeah, do you know what, that one's got me really intrigued? I'm really interested in The Flash. Mm. I love The Flash. Yeah, I think... Watch the TV I think of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I am I'm quite interested in this version of The Flash. But if, to be honest, the film I'm looking forward to is the Harley Quinn film that follows Suicide Squad. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, yeah, The Flash mm. would be the same. I mean, I, again, I'm, I am intrigued by Suicide Squad, but of, of the stuff specifically referenced by this, I'm, I'm more more on board with the idea of the Flash film than I was previously yeah. because I can see a, a vague sense of where they might be going with and it. And I do love Ezra Miller so I'm kind of I'm kind of looking forward to seeing his take on that character. I, I, I've got to be honest, as much as I dislike this, I'm kind of intrigued by Wonder Woman, Suicide Squad, I'm not really Justice League Part 1 if it's still going to be Snyder, but yeah, I'm kind of intrigued by a lot of it. And I, I, the one thing I am now quite excited to see is that Ben Affleck Batman interacting with the Jared Leto Joker, because I can just imagine how, just how little time that Affleck Batman would have for that Leto Joker. It just seems like a, a wonderful double act when he, ready to be struck up, because if the entire audience hates that take on the Joker, I'm pretty sure they're going to love Ben Affleck hating that version of the Joker <laughs> as well. <laughs> I can just imagine a scene with Batman, Joker and Harley Quinn which I think we're going to get in Suicide Squad um, which might be might have bumped up my anticipation for that movie quite a bit just to see that flashback scene but to really to really put a bow on this guys what comic books are you going to recommend that I read based on this movie I think I'm fairly fairly sure of one of them right one of yeah. them was, was <laughs> never going to be in doubt I mean I go for the obvious one and say you should read the the comic that contains the Batman versus Superman fight that this kind of lifts some sequences from and all of Batman's uniform from. Uh, and that is uh, Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns. There's not like, I was surprised at how little of this actually made it into the film, but cause it, you know, it's a clear influence, mm. but I think it's worth reading anyway. Like even just as a work of incredibly influential Batman comics that kind of features the older, more sort of weary take on the character. Excellent. So the Dark Knight Returns. Um, Seb, are you going Batman as well, or are you going Superman, or are you going something with both of them in again? I'm going with something with both of them in. I, I mean, I I was 
I was tempted to recommend you Death of Superman in the aftermath of this. Um, but no, I, I'd like to go with what I was going to recommend you all along. Um, it's called Superman and Batman Generations. Um, it's by John Byrne, who did the Man of Steel comic. Um, it's an Elseworlds comic, so it's a sort of, you know, a what if, you know, not in the main universe. And the premise is basically what if Batman and Superman met for the first time in 1939 and aged in real time after that, oh, cool. so rather than aging in comic book terms. So it, it jumps through a decade at a time, 39, 49, 59, and so on. And each of the um, chapters is kind of told in the style of the comics of that time. So in the 50s, it's quite sci-fi-y, over the top. And then in the kind of 70s and 80s, it gets a bit deliberately grim dark and stuff like that. So it's just quite an interesting take on their relationship over a, a quite long period of time. Excellent. Okay, so it's uh, two comics which I'm going to have to read pretty fast because the mini-sides out on Wednesday. So I'll... Uh... <laughs> going to look forward to absolutely mainlining those over the next couple of days. But that brings us to our final section this week, which is the pitch. And, you know, this this is a pretty easy one for me to come up with this week after seeing this movie. Everyone kind of thinks it's going to happen that we're going to get a solo Ben Affleck Batman movie. So pitch me your dream solo Batfleck movie. And Seb, I'll come to you first. Um, okay, so this is kind of not hugely fully formed, and it's not even it, for once. It's not really a kind of joke answer, but it's not so much a, a, a specific pitch as what I would like to see a solo Batman film address, which is in we didn't really talk about this, but in Batman versus Superman, um, Batman frequently and without remorse kills people, <laughs> and I think you can at least buy into the idea that this is a Batman who has reached that point you know, for various reasons and has become this kind of darker and more broken version of Batman. But, you know, we're, we're going to have this Batman probably essentially leading the Justice League in the Justice League films. So I think if we were going to get a Batman movie between then, which obviously we're not, um, I think what I'd like to see is seeing how the events of this film and, and being exposed to kind of the goodness of Superman and being kind of brought back by his conflict with Superman, I'd like to see them explore what having been willing to kill criminals does to Batman and how he comes back from that. Mm. I mean, they wouldn't because they don't care and they don't see it as a problem. The movies have never seen it as a problem for Batman to kill people. But I would like to see a, a, a Ben Affleck Batman film, and I think Affleck can give the depth to the character to do it. I would like to see them explore him coming back from being a Batman who kills people. <laughs> Excellent. Um, James, what about you? What's your perfect Batfleck movie? It's funny that Seb mentions that, actually, because the thing, the story I would most like to see this version of Batman doing is actually Nightfall. Because I like the, like the whole sort of night trilogy. Yeah, Seb, you'll have to remind me what the three parts are. Uh, Nightfall, Night Quest and Night's yeah. End. So we can skip Night Quest because everyone does. But just the idea of like this version of Batman gets injured because he's old. And then someone else takes over and it's Azrael and he's crazy. So Affleck has to take him down. Like, I I think Affleck does a good line in being angry. And I like the idea that he would go after Azrael for sort of tainting the legacy of the Batman. The problem is the, the moment when Azrael crosses the line <laughs> is when through inaction he allows a criminal to die. 
it, with this version of Batman, the argument would be you didn't go far enough. You literally didn't kill him yourself. <laughs> well, maybe he kills lots of people in that. In this version of Batman, goes well. Actually, that's a bit too far. <laughs> You're only allowed ten a yeah. day. <laughs> you see the problem. <laughs> the problem I've got here, and I think this might have a lot to do with having watched 13 episodes of Daredevil in the past week and having (laughs) the last two big superhero movies I watched being Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. I kind of, if I don't have to hear another argument about why a superhero should or shouldn't kill ever again, I think I'd be happy. I just, at this point, at this point, I was like, do what you want, kill just can't can't cope with it anymore. Daredevil Series 2 made me actively, like... I had a moment in episode 12 when some some guys just get randomly killed and I was just like uh, I can't deal with the amount of like random death that just happens in this series like I had a moment of genuine fear for my own mortality based on the number of people who died in the, in 12 episodes of Daredevil in a, in a show that is debating the morality of that <laughs> yeah uh, cake cake and eating it perhaps <laughs> <laughs> Should point out to listeners, we do plan on releasing a Daredevil Season 2 bonus episode at some point. We had tech issues this week, so couldn't do it, but we do plan on doing it in the future. Um, but yeah, so that's why I'm kind of I'm kind of just tired of that argument now. I can't cope with anyone else saying it. I don't know which heroes should and shouldn't kill anymore. I just... Yeah. Here's a simple answer. Superman and Batman shouldn't. Okay. Ah. <laughs> uh, so I don't know who's I don't know whose idea to pick. Oh, can you combine them? Can you do it? Can you do it? Can you do a movie where all of what Seb said is 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 a thing, but that also there is a successor to Batman? Well, it could be that Batman decides to quit because um, he realizes that he's crossed the line, and so he hands it over to a successor who then turns out to be even worse. Mm. Or again, and, and again, I'm going to add add my idea back into that. What about a flashback where Batman had tried giving up in the past, and that's why he's so weary, is because when he when someone else tried to do it in his stead, they did such a terrible job. <laughs> yeah, let's go with I that. I, I don't know, guys. <laughs> what I'm basically trying to say is, I like both of your ideas, and I really want to find a way to make them work together, and I can't pick a winner, so I'm just going to say it's a draw. Is that okay? <sighs> no, that's Everyone a rare occurrence, just, but I'll take it. Just like the Batman versus Superman hey, fight. It all so came together in the end. Every fight ends in a draw, because even the big fight with Doomsday is 1-1 in terms of dead people at the end. Okay, well, that's it for this week's show. If you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast app of choice. And you can support us over at Patreon at patreon.com slash cinematicuniverse. And Seb, you've got an important Patreon update for us. Yeah, so we, as, as we mentioned before, we passed the $75 a month target, which means that for every month that we're at that target, we'll make sure that there's a, a long-form article published. The first one has now gone up and been sent to Patreon backers exclusively for a week, and then it will go on cinematicmultiverse.com afterwards. Um, it's my pitch for a TV version of the comic Starman, including various various casting suggestions so i think it's a lot of fun um you can read if you're not a patreon backer you can read it on cinematicmultiverse.com um in about a week's time but if you are a patreon backer you'll have been sent it already and that's our little way of saying thank you for um supporting us and patreon backers also this week got an earlier listen to our spoiler free thoughts on uh batman v superman before we edited them into this podcast so 
Hopefully you enjoyed that as well. Uh, you can get in touch with us via Facebook, on Twitter, at CU underscore podcast, or you can send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Finally, now I know who to smash. Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with Planet Hulk. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.